I come to church because I recognize that I, I need encouragement. I need to be filled up. You know, sometimes we are plagued with doubt. We are wrestling with uncertainty. But, you know, the Lord reminds us of his goodness. Uh, I want to also remind if there are teenagers in the building, my brother Domingo is going to be leading a conversation with teens. If not, then we're just going to continue to worship. Amen. I am going to do at the end of this service, I'm going to do something a little different, a little different. And I, and I hope that it's encouraging to you guys here. Um, it's I realize that we are a a small church and you you're afforded opportunities to do things that you probably can't do otherwise. And so I am blessed to be able to try something and hopefully the Lord will um, will be with us in that attempt. But I recognize that there's a lot of doubt and there's a lot of uh, uncertainty, especially in 2022. You have a pandemic, you have racial tension, you have government and political polarization, and oftentimes the church is caught in the midst of all of that. And so we find a lot of distrust, not only in institutions, but we find distrust sometimes in God and the people who say that they love Jesus, right? But we often know that it's not the Lord, it's just his broken people. We believe in a perfect God, not a perfect church. And there's this, uh, this, this kind of like this folklore parable, if you will. Uh, one of my favorite authors, Zora Neale Hurston, does a lot of uh, anthropological work, and she captures this story about this woman named Sister Sini. And Sister Sini is in a church service, and she's wanting to come to the Lord. She heard this great message, and she's like, look, Lord, I'll come to you if you move the tree. And the Lord is like, all right, I'll, I'll move this tree for you, okay? And Sister Sini's like, that's good, that's good. I'll, uh, you know, one more thing, Lord, let I saw you move that tree, and that was beautiful. Could, could you also move the stars for me and let me know that's really you? Because if, if you move the stars, I know can't nobody move the stars. I'll really believe in you now. And so the Lord is like, oh, gosh, okay, I'll move the stars for you. And so Sister Cini's still like, ah, well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe the, maybe the, I just, one more thing, Lord. Because the stars sometimes move by themselves. How about you move the sun? Because I know nobody, the sun, I know nobody can't move no sun. And God is like, look here, I didn't move the trees. I didn't move the stars. But I ain't got but one sun. And I ain't moving that sun for you. And if you can't believe after I didn't move these trees and I didn't move these stars, part of my language, then you could probably just go to hell. And I know that's harsh, but oftentimes, that's how we proposition God. It's like that's our posture to the Lord. As we read through Luke, we see that there are many times that there are people who see Jesus doing great, miraculous works, but yet and still, that's just not enough. They need more. They need more evidence. 
That seems it, 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 it may seem ridiculous to us. It's like, oh, yeah, but if I saw miracles work, then I would truly believe. But just think about all the times that the Lord has done great work in your life, and then you turn around and doubt him. People in the scriptures saw Jesus perform great miracles, but they still wanted him gone because this is what we're going to be talking about, the kingdom of God, because the kingdom of God to them was inconvenient. Though he did a lot of stuff for him, there was a requirement that came with the understanding of who Jesus was. It was inconvenient because of multiple things. He, he asked folks to leave their homes, quit their jobs, to hang with prostitutes and tax collectors. For some of us, that's probably easy, but for some folks, the, so, the, the social status that they had, they didn't want to be seen drop dead with prostitutes and tax collectors. Quick caveat, if you haven't watched The Chosen, The Chosen is a TV series that was made. It is amazing. It brings a wonderful picture of the gospel in ways that we don't often think about it. And one simple thing that is revolutionary to me is that Matthew, we all knew, for a lot of us know that Matthew was a tax collector, right? And we all know that tax collectors were like the corrupt exploiters of their day. But one of the things that they point out is that Matthew was probably Peter and Andrew's tax collector, which means there was great beef there. There was great animosity between them two because they didn't like one another. But yet and still, Jesus calls Matthew, Peter, and Andrew to work together to do the kingdom work. Just imagine somebody who's exploiting you right now. <laughs> and Jesus says, no, I want you to work alongside this individual to do my work. Would you be happy? Would you be excited? <laughs> and not just that, for three years. And so it brings a wonderful picture. So he's calling people to be inconvenienced from their own agenda. He also calls them to antagonize the power of the day, the political power. Like, well, guess what? Your life may be at risk because we're going we're gonna to talk truth to power. We also, it's inconvenience because he's going to call us to share in all things. You look at Acts 2 and Acts 4. Those are some heavy, heavy requirements. It says that they were, had all things in common because they were sharing and people were selling their goods. You ask me to sell something right now for somebody, I'm like, uh, I mean, but how responsible have they been, though? But Jesus doesn't ask that. He doesn't say how responsible. He says, do you love me and are you about this kingdom business? But the most dangerous thing he's calling them to do is to die to themselves. To die to their own agenda. Many of us come to the Lord in awe, but it quickly wears off because we forget how impressive Jesus is. And then we ask him to impress us. And he's like, look, if you want to be impressed, go outside, breathe. Look at the trees. Look at the stars. Take your post today if you want to be impressed with who I am. That's all the work he needs to do. God is not convenient, nor is his kingdom convenient. But it is good. But it is good. I love C.S. Lewis, and if you are familiar with C.S. Lewis, you've probably read this book, The Chronicles of Narnia. 
And the Chronicles of Narnia is a wonderful depiction of a type of Jesus so that children, it's a children's book, which is crazy, right? But it's so profound, adults are like, I can't believe I just read that. So in this book, there's a character, Aslan, Aslan, who's a lion. And it reads like this. There's a young lady, Susan, who says, Aslan is a lion? The lion, the great lion? And she says, oh, I thought he was a man. And then she asks, is he quite safe? Is, is Aslan safe? <laughs> and the beaver is like, well, she says, I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. And then the beaver says, safe? <laughs> Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's a king. It, that's the way that we should see Jesus and his call to the kingdom. It's not about, well, well, well Jesus, is, is this, is, is, is it good? Is it safe for me? He's like, look, 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 look. You're asking all the wrong questions. God's kingdom is not safe, but it is good. And this is why the gospel is oftentimes appealing to people who have nothing. Because it's, they, they come with nothing, and so they, they realize this, this is all I have. But a lot of us who have great education and resources and we come with our things, we're like, oh, yo, Jesus will we'll change the world. It'll be Jesus plus my degree, Jesus plus my impressiveness, Jesus plus my nice little pants I got from, you know, Zara. Because people be like, oh, that brother dressed, oh, he must. They don't care because there's somebody going to be dressed better than you, smarter than you, more resources than you. However, the problem within America is that we can oftentimes create a veneer because our resources can t oftentimes take care of our problems. But the kingdom of God is calling us to bring everything to the altar and say, woe is me, no matter what I have, Lord, you deserve it all. You deserve my life. And we see this with the rich young ruler. There's an encounter that Jesus has, and there's this individual who approaches Jesus, as often many people do in the Bible, and they say, what must I do to be in your crew? And Jesus says, well, go and keep the commandments. And the rich young ruler's like, bet, got that. I got the commandments. And Jesus knows this man's intentions. And so he goes somewhere that the young man didn't think he was going to go. He says, oh, you, you, think you, you think you got it. How about this? Go get all your possessions, sell them, and give the proceeds to the poor. And it said the young ruler, the rich young ruler, walked away distraught. Why? It's because he was content in an identity that was more than just knowing Jesus. He wasn't willing to get rid of the very thing that made him significant. He can do all the performing, right? He, on, the, on the outward, he did all the things right. But Jesus said, there is something about your heart. You honor you appreciate, you desire something greater than being with me. And I think it's the fact that you know you have resources that can take care of your needs. What if we strip that away from you? What does that make you now? And so what <laughs> is the thing that Jesus may need to strip away from you to make it inconvenient for you to come to a point where you recognize, I need the kingdom of God? The Luke... Uh, uh, the Gospel of Luke is considered a gospel of the underdog. 
And the reason being is because Luke is himself a Gentile, most people agree, and he's writing to Gentiles. And if you don't know what Gentiles are, they were the people who were not Jews, basically full-blood Jews. They were, they were either folks who were half-breeds or people who were of a different ethnicity. And so they were oftentimes on the margins, ostracized. And even the Jewish people in the scriptures that Jesus talks about or uh, reflects on, those folks are often magnified in the scriptures because what he's trying to do is show that Jesus is here for the outsider. He's not just here for the people who have resources and privilege. He's here for the people on the margins. And so he's saying here, I am coming to establish a new kingdom, Naomi. You had a way of thinking that was right in your sight, but now I am going to invert that. I'm going to flip that. Genesis, there was a way in which we lived that was perfect. Wonderful fellowship with God. Wonderful fellowship with one another. The way we work and we cultivate it was perfect. And then Satan ear hustled and was like, yo, hey, you, you know you can, you know, you can be like God. He just, he, he just be jealous. And we believe the nonsense. And so every day we're believing the nonsense that we could be God. And so what we're doing is we're inverting the kingdom. We're putting ourselves at top. And therefore, we're making the whole economy of God upside down. And so what Jesus is saying, he says, I'm coming to fix it. I'm going to put myself and my father on top. And from there is going to flow a proper order in which people should operate, and they should love one another. We're going to restore the relationship between me and, and humanity. We're going to restore the relationship between me and our, you, uh, one another. And then I'm also going to restore the relationship in how you operate and how you interact, not only in systems, but how you create and serve one another. And Jesus knew that creating an institution, in a sense, like he didn't come through politics. He could have. He didn't come through education. He could have. He didn't come through military, but he could have. He came through a belief system. He says, I am going to give you, because he knew that you can squash an institution. You can tear that down as Jerusalem was torn down. You can, you can squash people. You can stop. But what you can't do is you can't stop belief. One of my favorite prophets, John Mayer, has a song. He says, we're never going to win the world. We're never going to stop the war. We're never going to do this if belief is what we're fighting for. Even though I disagree, like he <laughs> is making an argument in a different, I'm like, amen, because the reality is you can't kill belief. If anything, sometimes when you try to kill belief, it spreads even more. This is the evidence of the church and martyrdom. So it's not that he's just coming to bring a new kingdom. He's bringing a new kingdom for outsiders. But here's something we got to understand about these outsiders. These are people who've been oppressed. A lot of us can connect and relate to that. These are people who felt physical oppression. They felt exploitation. They've not seen justice. And when they hear about a coming Messiah, what they want is revenge and power. And Jesus <laughs> is like, guess what? I'm not coming to give you weapons. I'm not coming to give you revenge. But what I'm coming to give you is forgiveness and love. That's mind-blowing. Just think about a people who've, who've been waiting for a military presence, an authority who's going to come and shake up Rome and shake up the Pharisees and religious leaders of the day. And he's saying, no, 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 no. What I'm coming to do is teaching you how to love and forgive those folks. 
What? Segregation, slavery, civil rights. You, you're telling me to do what? That's a belief that shakes up the world. Anybody can take power. Power is corrupt no matter who holds it. I am the blackest of black men, the most militant of militants. But I recognize that power in the wrong hands can be corrupted. It doesn't matter. In the 18, 1860s, 1870s, there was a, uh, an association called the American Colonization Society. And the American Colonization Society was uh, a group of white, libera uh, white uh, abolitionists and black freed folks who were like, you know what? We think it's best for black folk to go back to Liberia or go back to Africa. And so they landed in Liberia. They were like, we're going to go to Liberia because we feel like we cannot exist here in the United States. We'll never have equal opportunity. We'll never have liberation. It's always going to be second-class citizenship for us. So you have thousands of people who make a decision to go to another country. Black people, some free, a lot of people who at one point in time were not free, enslaved, and they go to Liberia. And guess what these black folks do in Liberia? They begin to enslave the natives there. This is why Jesus said, I'm not coming to give you revenge or power. The abuse of power is not immune to you because of your race. So the historical context is that Israel is oppressed by a Roman state. The religious law of the day isn't offering any legitimate answers. These people are looking for hope and a coming Messiah. And Jesus says, I'm here. I'm offering you salvation. Not political positions, not weapons. And not only that, he says, I'm going to give it in these confusing riddles. The kingdom of God is foolishness to the world. I'm going to read Luke 13, 18 to 21. Look at me. I don't even know. Y'all don't even know where I'm supposed to be right now. Luke, eight, uh, Luke 13, 18 to 21. It says this. Um, and he said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And what can I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in the garden. It grew and it became a tree. And the birds of the sky nested in its branches. And again, he said, what can I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like leaven that a woman took and mixed into 50 pounds of flour until all of it was leavened. I, I'm going to do like old school, like old school church. I'm going to read that passage. And that's probably the last time I'm going to go there. Y'all get it. The kingdom of God is like, <laughs> it's like mustard seed. It expands. But it's also like leaven mixed in wheat. It expands. I mean, I, it's pretty simple. I don't know. If we, a lot of the scholars would like you to exposit the text. Let's look at the Greek of what the king. Look, it's simple. The kingdom of God is, is, is going to do work. But the beautiful thing about this passage, and I'm going to touch on what happens before and after, is that Luke talks about the kingdom of God more than any other gospel. He says, blessed is the poor in spirit because the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is theirs. The kingdom of heaven 
is like treasure buried in the field that a man found and reburied. Then his joy, or in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. I mean, the kingdom of God is everything. You, you're willing to give it up for the kingdom of God. He says this, he says that the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you to know, but the rest it is in parables, so that looking they may not see and hearing they may not understanding. Once again, the kingdom of God is foolishness. Jesus is, in this, in, in, uh, earlier in Luke 13, you can read it later, what we see is Jesus heals a woman on the Sabbath. And after he heals this woman on the Sabbath, then he begins to explain the kingdom of God because the Pharisees is like, what, what right do you have to heal on the Sabbath? Why are you healing on the Sabbath? And, you know, I think about this. Jesus was an antagonizer. He intentionally did things. He could have waited to Monday or Sunday, technically. He could have waited to the next day to heal this. He could have like, yo, meet me over at the corner of such and such and such and such. I'm going to heal you. But he was like, he had an audience. He knew the opposition was before him. And he said, you know what? I'm going to prove a point about what the kingdom is. The kingdom is about the outsider. The kingdom is about these people who are here seeking truth. And despite I know it's going to cause some great ripples, I am going to heal. And so he does that because he's not only just wanting to heal a woman, he's challenging the philosophies of the day, and he's also teaching his disciples not to be afraid of naysayers. He's impacting and changing. Not only is he healing the physical affliction, but he's healing the Pharisees of the ideological afflictions. I am amazed by how Jesus interacts with individuals and he heals this woman. And here's another thing about Christianity, especially when you read the gospel, is that Jesus has more than any other historical figure, text, his interaction with women is so empowering. Oftentimes, we can corrupt the Christian faith by making it very paternalistic about men. But Jesus does the opposite. And in this healing is one example of that. He empowers women. Not only that, he, it's not just this woman. She's an outsider. Everybody knows that this woman is kind of like Anatha. She's like, stand off. Don't touch her. Jesus runs to the outsider. He loves on the people who, who are on the margins. And it reminds me, it reminds me of when I was in college and I was the great disciple maker I was. I, I used to think about changing the world, but the only people I was running to were the athletes and the popular people. Because I was thinking, like, if I get the popular people, then they'll think we're cool. Then Jesus will be cool. And then everybody's going to be like, yo, that's why a lot of us is like, I can't wait till my favorite, I just pray my favorite rapper or my favorite actress becomes a Christian. Guess what? They still going to be seen as foolish to the world. Look at Kanye. <laughs> Jesus is more concerned with our righteousness than our relevance. And the kingdom is going to be foolishness to the world. It's a way that seems right to, the, to man, but in the end it leads to death. In Luke 13, what we see in the parable of the Mustard seed, we see a very small seed creating something that's huge. And then we see 
a small piece of leaven expanding and taking over this particular batch. And what, there's three things we have to understand about the kingdom, is that the kingdom is going to expand. It expands. This church prayerfully, if we're people of prayer, if we're people of faithfulness, if we're people of fellowship and love, if we're people of Acts 2 and Acts 4, then guess what? The 30-ish people in here will probably expand to hundreds. Not just because we want this room to be filled or we want to put on a show. It's because we really want to sing the kingdom of God in Stone Mountain. And so it expands. And not only does it expand, when it does, it's a blessing to non-believers as well. It's common grace. The work that you do, wherever God puts you, is an example. You are an example of God's goodness in the world. And so your work is a flourish. It's a blessing to all people. I think about Daniel. Daniel and Jeremiah, uh, uh, we see Jeremiah talking to the prophets of the day, and he's saying, look, don't listen to the, to, the, to the false prophets. They're telling that you should leave exile. And this is where we get Jeremiah 29, 19. I think it is 29, 19. I have the plans that I have for you. Y'all know it better than I do, but somebody go ahead and quote that for me. The Bam. And so there, what's happening there is there are a bunch of false prophets who are telling the Israelites who are now been exiled in Babylon, y'all need to leave. We need to get out of this bondage. And God says, no, no, Jeremiah, go tell them I, that I, and I have a, to prosper them, not to harm them, but to give them hope. Come on. And a future. And then he follows it up in the, in the next chapter. He says, build homes, plant gardens, marry your children, because y'all going to be here for a while. I ain't, got no, I ain't trying to get y'all out of this. I want you to be a because he says, in your blessing, the city will be blessed. Come on. I'm offering you forgiveness and love. The kingdom of God is foolishness to the world. And so we have Christianity here being displayed as a beautiful picture of a blessing to the world. Now, don't get me wrong. Christianity has been a part of some atrocious things in history. But oftentimes, that's all we talk about. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, Christianity did this, did that. But guess what? Christianity has been a part of great deeds in history. Hospitals, orphanages, education. We think about the, 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 abol the, the abolitionist movement. That's a Christian movement. But we often talk about the Christians who are a part of slavery. We don't talk about the Christians who are on the other side of that saying, this is a heinous act and we need to end this. The church has been here to bless the world. The other thing we see in these parables is not just expansion, but it takes time, patience, endurance. A lot of us, we want instant gratification. But we see in the scriptures that God does work through people over a long period of time. We look at, the, we look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we read the page, and we can read it in one day, and we think, oh, it all happened in six days. This is a three-year process. It's a three-year process to get these wayward individuals to follow after him. And even at the end of it, they still like, nah, I don't know that dude. So you got to add on the book of Acts to see them actually fulfilling the understanding that Jesus began to teach them. So it's a time thing. But not only that, Saul, who becomes Paul, 
He gets knocked off his horse. He doesn't immediately become Paul. If you read in Acts and some of the other books that he's, he's, he's written, the context clues, he goes to Arabia for four years to study under other apostles. Process. It takes time. Joseph is given a vision that he will be a, a, a great leader and that the Lord will bless Israel or his brothers through him. And I'm pretty sure Joseph likes, yo, when is, it, when is that going to happen, Lord? Thirteen years later. Let's bring it more to contemporary times. We think about the civil rights movement. Oftentimes we think <laughs> the Civil Rights Act that popped off in 64 just happened. Bro, Martin Luther King and the Civil Rights Movement started in the 50s. But we also got to think about A. Philip Randolph and individuals who led the movements in the 20s and the 30s that led to that. The Lord works through processes. The kingdom expands, but we must be patient, and it's endurance. The other thing we have to understand is that it's narrow, which means it's difficult. It's rather difficult. At the end of Luke, it says he went from one town and village after another, teaching, making his way to Jerusalem. Lord, someone asked, are only a few people going to be saved? Because it's like, look, we, our crew is looking rather thin right now. And he says, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because I tell you, many will try to enter and won't be able to. Once the homeowner gets up and shuts the door, then you will stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open up for us, and he will answer you, I don't know you. <laughs> and wh where are you from? That's what it says. Where are you from? It's like new phone, who this? Then you will say, we ate and we drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I don't know you. Where are you from? I was going to quote Kendrick Lamar, but I don't know if it's appropriate right now. Where are you from? Okay. Some of you are last, uh, he says, some who are last will be first and some who are first will be last. It's difficult. It's very narrow. Oftentimes, we think about the kingdom, the interest into the kingdom being narrow because of egregious sins that we may participate in. And, and I, that's, you know, that can be obvious. But I want us to think a little differently. Rather than thinking about murder and rape and, and, and the great heinous sins that we all know we can point out, what about the sin of busyness? What about the things that disqualify us because we are too busy building our own kingdom? I like to call it the sin of Martha. You have Mary and Martha in the presence of Jesus, and oftentimes the busyness is not a bad thing. It's not that we're doing this because we don't love the Lord. We're doing this because we think this is the best way in which we serve him. Oftentimes, it could be even in churches. You get to a point where you just serve, 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 and you forget for whom you're serving for and why you're serving. And Jesus is asking, just sit at my feet. Just get to know me. Just get to know me. Preaching. You can 
It's one of the biggest fears I have about coming over here is that I just don't want to get into the place where I'm just doing something and I'm just checking off a list. Like, I did my righteous deed for the week. I don't want musicians to just play instruments and just, well, I play my instrument on Sunday and that's my deed for of righteousness. I don't want my sister Naomi to get up here and sing and just be like, well, I, I've done my deed of righteousness. I don't want you guys to come and just attend and be like, oh, we've done our deed. But what does it mean to sit at the feet of Jesus? Because oftentimes we struggle because we want to be impressive. We do these things because we want to be impressive or we want control and we feel like having control gives us a sense of comfort. And in building our own kingdom, we oftentimes create our own problems. I, I heard a, a brother say that one of the biggest issues in the church of disqualification isn't necessarily people committing adultery and all this. It's, it's that you get so bogged down with loans and all this stuff that you can't. Anytime somebody wants you to do some form of ministry, you're like, I, I can't because I have to do this. I have to continue to chase the Jones. Having a $500,000 house, that's not the kingdom of God. God didn't say that, that in order to be a part of the kingdom, this is the type of house you have to have. In order to be in the kingdom, you have to be an educated man or woman. The disciples were uneducated people. In order to be a part of the kingdom, you have to be, no. Oftentimes, the things that we create are our own obstacles. Things that kill the kingdom are individuality, and the cares of the world. The moment you start to sense that, man, am I, am I being disconnected from community? Who's in my life? Like, do people actually know me? And if you're more concerned with building the things of this world than God's kingdom, then maybe at some point you've left the kingdom and you've ventured into your own kingdom and you're figuring out. Or some of you are like, you know what? Maybe it's just better in Egypt. Let me go back. This is why Christian institutions are necessary. I know I have a lot of friends, and, I, and I'm not hyper. I have a lot of friends who have left the faith recently. Or I have a lot of friends, friends who are like, well, I love Jesus, but I don't love his church. And I, I understand. I am not above <laughs> the... <laughs> The, I guess the castigating of the, the church. But let me tell you something. I, in around 2018, I left Blueprint. I used to be an elder here early up until about 2018, I think it was, or 2017. I left the church because I was like, I'm just, I'm just tired. I can't, I'm frustrated with the way the church is going. I'm just, I'm having all kind of personal issues with the church, so I'm just going to go do my own thing. And everybody who says like, yeah, yeah, I don't need the church. I'm just going to have my own community. Nine times out of ten when people say that, they just doing they just doing them. And so for about a good two or three years, I was just wandering in the desert. And then I realized the more I began to concern myself with the social issues of the world and I was disconnected from the church and people of God, my heart began to take on the concerns of the world in a way that wasn't healthy. Because I began to hate. I began to speak ill of people. I wasn't willing to forgive. And, I, and the next thing I realized, I was on stage saying something that I deeply regretted. And I said, you know what? I need, I need some people who love Jesus around me. And I don't care if they're cool. 
I don't care if, but I was like, you know what? I'm going to go back to Blueprint with all its issues and all its problems, and I'm just going to be present because I just want to be around some people who love Jesus, who know me, and going to check me on some things. And so at any point, you find that you are moving away from community and you are building your own kingdom, you need to stop and do an evaluation, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, to check to see if you are saved. There's no way to love Jesus and not love his bride. There's no way to change the world and be disconnected from the institution in which he chose to change the world. As I said, he could have used politics. But guess what? We know politics will fail us. Power will fail us. He could have used education. But Ecclesiastes tells us that you can't be smart enough. There's always something else to learn. He could have used financial institutions. But guess what? Money will not buy us joy. He could have used military. But guess what? There's always something else to conquer. And then you may be conquered. The beauty of the Christian faith is teaching us how to exist when oppressed. The beauty of Christianity is teaching us how to exist when life is not going our way. The beauty of Christianity is telling us how to flourish in poverty. The beauty of Jesus is showing us how to exist when people hate you. The beauty of Christianity is teaching us how to be a flourishing community when you are marginalized and you're an outsider. I love me some Jesus. John 6 and, and the inconvenience of his kingdom. Let me see where I am. Ooh, that time be flying. Um, I'm going I'm 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 to talk John 6 because he, I think it's very important why we trust the system in which Jesus instituted and that's his church and that's this kingdom that is in heaven, on earth as it was in heaven. Jesus gets done feeding the 5,000 in John 6. He gets done feeding the, the, the masses. And now he has a lot of people following him. And many of them follow him because of the benefits. You know? And Jesus has asked this question in John 6. He's asked, what must I do uh, to be a part of your kingdom? The group that followed him is like, yo, we've seen you perform miracles. And they're like, what, what, what must we do? And Jesus is constantly asked this question, and it's a really interesting question because I think sometimes we ask it as well. But the intention of this question is this, is that these folks are asking this question because they want <laughs> the highest reward with the least amount of sacrifice. They want to know, what does it take to be a part of your ball team? Because I'm not trying to do all the exercising. I'm not trying to do the the practices, I just want a jersey and I just want a rep and I want the benefits. I want the ring at the end of the day. And Jesus says, no, that's not, that's not how this works. Because they want Jesus to perform in order for him or for them to, to get their allegiance. He just fed them. They're asking for more food. And Jesus is like, yo, y'all need to chill. He says, they like give us manna. He said, I moved the tree for you. I moved the stars already. I'm not moving the sun. I've done enough performing for you. And then he teaches this parable about communion. 
He says, eat my flesh, drink my blood in, in, in John 6. And then folks are like, you know what? This dude's tripping. He's talking about cannibalism. I am out. And so Jesus looks at his disciples and he's like, y'all going to break out on me? And, Jesus, and the disciples are like, nah, we ain't got nowhere else to go. We didn't already, we didn't already commit it now. We, are, we look like fools. So we might as well, Sam Jackson said, you're going to be stupid. Be all the way stupid. And the disciples were like, we're going to be all the way stupid. And Jesus is like, you made the right decision. Because the kingdom of God is a bunch of positive negatives. Positive negatives. And it's foolishness to the world. Lose your life. Positive negative. Die to yourself. Positive negative. Sacrifice. Positive negative. Deny. Submit. Carry your cross. The kingdom of God, we talked about parables. I have a parable. The kingdom of God is not like, made yet, a man who was waiting for a friend, let's say at Starbucks, because that's what people like to meet. And so he's like, hey, meet me at Starbucks at 1 o'clock. And 2 o'clock rolls by, and the gentleman's not there yet. And he's like, okay, this is crazy. I said, I said 1 o'clock, and this dude is an hour late. Two uh, three o'clock rolls by, dude still ain't, he ain't showed up. Some of y'all would have left already. But this dude is like, you know what? I can't, because I'm going to tell this brother off when he gets here. 3.30 hits the clock, and finally my man strolls in like, yo, you know, my bad, bro. You never, you never, never, ever will guess what just happened to me. And this dude is, he's amazed. He's like, oh, two and a half, I need to know. Explain to me, please. Tell me why you're two and a half hours late. He says, all right, so I'm driving down 75, 85, right? I'm, you know, you know how these Dodge, these Dodge Chargers are. They just be, <laughs> so one swerves in front of me, my car, it flips over like 17 times. And then all of a sudden, after it finally lands, boom, an 18-wheeler hits me. And it knocks me off 7585 on the 10th Street. And I, when I land, I was like, yo, I got to meet my man at Starbucks, though. So I jumped out the car, and I make it. That's the reason why I'm two and a half hours late, my man. And so my dude looks at him. He's like, wait, hold up. So you're telling me your car flipped over 17 times, you were hit by an 18-wheeler, but yet and still... You got out your car and you ran here. He says, either <laughs> you lying or you Superman. Because I don't understand what's happening. Because no person can come into contact with an 18-wheeler and still look the same. And for a lot of us, we say we know Jesus we come into contact with this 18-wheeler, but we don't look any different. The kingdom of God makes you look like you've come in contact with it. You cannot look the same. You don't talk the same. You don't live the same. You look like foolishness to the world. 
What does it mean to be saved? When we talk about salvation, and I'm going to close with this, we oftentimes just say saved, saved, saved. But being saved is being saved from the wrath of God. I don't know how many of y'all want that smoke, but I know I don't want it. And so what happens is God created human beings. He said, this is the way in which y'all are supposed to live. We didn't do it. He says, there's consequences. And you're going to have to deal with the consequences. Jesus is like, no, you know what? I got it. I'm going to take the consequences on their behalf. And to be saved is to say, Lord, I acknowledge that my sins, the mere fact that I am walking on this earth, has put me in enmity with you, and the only way that I can be saved from the wrath that is coming, the impending doom, the destruction, is to trust in your son. But there are many of us in here who are like, no, I think I'm, I think I'm cool. I think I can deal with the wrath of God. And if you come to a place where you say, you know what, no, I recognize that I can't take on the wrath of God, then God is giving you a new kingdom mindset. We are operating under a new understanding, a new way of living, and it's foolishness to the world. Our God is good. His kingdom is good. It's an inconvenience, but it's good. It's foolishness to the world, but it's good. He saved us because he's good. And we are now trying to do good. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information about Blueprint Church, visit us online at blueprintchurch.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Blueprint Church. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.